Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend. Can uh, a parent withhold or deny access to the other parent if the other parent is an anti-vaxxer and is refusing to get vaccinated? And as they say, I think this is kind of a, a novel issue, and I'm quite confident it's going to be coming up uh, in, you know, cases that we see and with clients that we see. So uh, I, I think it's uh, interesting to be talking about it. It is. And um, we should tell our viewers that the question will not be answered by us because we don't know the answer. The answer is going to be one that's going to evolve over time uh, by judges being faced with this question and giving an answer. They've given answers to various other COVID-related questions in the last year and a half, but this is a new one. And uh, the law may be different than the U.S. approach to it, or U.K. or Australia or other countries. Um, Canada was really uh, one of the leaders in terms of pumping out case law with respect to the implications of COVID on family law. So let's see what happens this go around when the subject of vaccinations come up. Yeah, it's going to be interesting um, because, uh, you know, it, it is a hot topic. I mean, I know um, I find, you know, even on my social media and whatnot, it, it, vaccination is a topic I tend to stay away from because people have very strong views on each side of it. And so um, I can see it coming up with families. Now, I haven't had anyone specifically consult me on this issue yet. Have you, Steve? No, I haven't. And, and it'll be interesting because... I'm actually following how judges think and deal with various topics pertaining to the vaccination subject. And so I, it's a bit of a tell um, because if a judge says, or, or a mediator says, or an assessor says, I will become involved in your case, but only live if everybody is vaccinated, then does that then mean that they feel strongly that double vaccinations are necessary for them to be live with us? And if that's the way they think with respect to us appearing in front of them or being in the room with them, then wouldn't it follow that the same approach would apply to their, de their determination as to whether the children should be around parents that are not vaccinated? So it's an interesting sort of evolution to see, because at the end of the day, the decision is a discretionary call by a judge. There's no precedent that will determine this issue. And so, you know, I spoke to a mediator this week who says for the last year and a half, he has only been doing Zoom mediations. And I said, okay, but now we're approaching the point in life where many of us are double vaccinated. And so will you allow people to come in your room and mediate with them, with or without a mask, if they are double vaccinated? And his answer, and this was a senior family mediator, his answer was yes, if they've both been double vaccinated, if everybody's been double vaccinated, because you can't only allow one person in. So everybody has to be double vaccinated. And two, that they've actually tested upon arrival. Okay. 
Well, that doesn't seem to be inconsistent with how things are being done in other uh, in other arenas. Um, you know, clearly, if you cross the border, I mean, even without the current announcement today of the lifting of the quarantine rules, even before that, you would have to um, prove that you were um, free of the virus by quarantining for two weeks and having tests done. So that's not different. And I'm assuming that once stores open up and arenas open up and theaters open up, there's going to be some requirements that they're not going to allow anybody to walk in and walk out. So I short answer, the long answer to your question is no, I haven't had any uh, consultations on the subject, but I, I am actually watching very carefully where this might be going. Well, and I think it's something where we're going to have to really rely on the government in terms of what they're mandating and what they're not mandating. And, you know, I think at this point, I mean, it looks like the vaccination itself is not going to be mandatory. It's strongly encouraged. But from what I've heard, I don't think the government is planning on making it a mandatory vaccination, but it may affect what you can and can't do. And what I'm concerned about is I'm already seeing some signs of it is a lot of conflict and things, different policies with different places. And where I, where I'm going to use as an example is I have a daughter who's going into university for the first year in the fall and she's um, been admitted. She's going to go to Queens. Um, but she was looking at, thank you at Western and Western has a policy in place for all the students who are going into residence that they have to have had at least one vaccine. Right. And I saw something in the paper today that U of T has implemented a similar policy, but we received correspondence from Queens um, that they're, they're not implementing um, that policy. Um, and so I thought that was interesting that Queens seems to be taking a different approach than Western and U of T. And I, I don't know, other universities also may have weighed in on it. But this is the concern I have is that, you know, when you have different institutions saying different things, I think at some point the federal government may have to provide some clarity on it. Um, because as long as it's not mandatory, I don't know if I can see a, a parent having grounds to deny access to the other parent based on them not getting vaccinated. Yeah, and I'll tell you, it's, it can go the other way around, too. I mean, many children are not vaccinated and certainly many children will not be double vaccinated. And so, you know, there were cases of people that actually declined to have their children uh, in the early stages of COVID because they were afraid that they would contract uh, the virus by having the children enter and exit their home while they were living, obviously, with the other parent. But let's go backwards a little bit because in divorce law, and in divorce in general, uh, people are not together because they have different views. Oftentimes they, you know, we use the language irreconcilable differences, but in simple language, it just means these two people who once were in love, who once shared a home, who once shared. They, they are no longer together and they're no longer together because they have different views on various parts of life. And so it's not so surprising that when it comes to medical care and the, uh, the subject of vaccinations, that they may very well not agree on the same approach. Um, so 
the subject of a vaccination itself is part and parcel of two people having very different views, not only different views on, uh, on their marriage, but different, uh, different views on life in general that involves things like vaccinations or travel or whatnot. So uh, you've, got the, um, you've got the foundation for people who have already chosen to live apart because they cannot agree on certain things um, already laid. And then along comes the subject of, well, do I want a vaccination? Now, this is a much larger issue in the US than it is here, um, but we do have a lot of people in Canada, um, some of whom are, by the way, essential workers, who strongly believe that they should not be vaccinated because the uh, actual agent has not been tested adequately and they refuse to, uh, to, to, to uh, insert it into their bloodstream. So with that said, um, I wanna remind the viewers that we do have some analogies, we do. So I'll give you an example. I'm going to give you two examples, and, and I invite you, uh, Leanne, to, to, to debate or discuss it with me. Um, years ago, uh, there was a whole line of cases of people that um, were Jehovah's Witnesses who refused a transfusion for their child. And so you had, in some cases, uh, the Children's Aid Society uh, bringing an application uh, whereby they took wardship over the child from the parents who were Jehovah Witnesses who refused a blood transfusion where the medical community, where the medical practitioners insisted that the children or the child needed a transfusion urgently. And the parents refused it and then CAS stepped in, brought an application, and in some cases, in fact many cases, the CAS got wardship over the child in order to get the child vaccinated against their parents' wishes. So that's one example. Another example from a very different way of thinking is um, alcohol and pot use. So it, it was, it's always been, I mean, in the last 50 years, legal to drink alcohol. It's not legal to drink alcohol and drive, but is it legal to drink alcohol and parent? So, some judges have said, well, that person has a history of excessive alcohol use. You know, they may have had DWIs, they may have um, lost their employment because of alcohol use. It might be so egregious that the situation is such that the judge places limits on the person's ability to consume alcohol when they're in a caregiving role. So then along comes the subject of, of pot. You know, years ago, we would say, this person smokes pot, they should not be able to be in a caregiving role because they have a history of pot use. Well, now pot is legal. So then the question becomes, can you restrict a parent's ability to parent a child if they are openly using cannabis, either by way of dropping it or by smoking it or whatever the case may be. And so it has created this unknown. Is it permissible for a parent who smokes two joints a day to be in charge of a child. Now let's make the fact scenario even more difficult. What if it's a child with special needs? What if it's a child that requires particular care that only someone that is fully attentive can do? What if it's a newborn? What if it's a child that might be getting... So these are all questions that are being answered in real time by judges. Sorry, I, I've hogged the time, but I wanted to 
share with you some thoughts. What do you think, Leanne? Um, well, I think those are, are interesting examples. Um, and obviously, they're not, um, you know, exactly the same in the sense that the first one with the, the, the blood transfusions, I mean, that, those, that was a, an urgent life or death type of situation. And, you know, that might be relatable to whether um, a child get, has to get vaccinated. So whether there's, you know, um, if the parents aren't agreeing on the children being vaccinated and whether, you know, in a situation like that, um, you know, you can rely on those kind of cases to say the vaccination, you know, is necessary. But it doesn't go, it doesn't really offer much, a lot of guidance on the issue of like access and denying access or denying parenting time as the term would be now. Um, and then, you know, your second example of like, that's interesting, you know, because again, it goes to um, a parent's ability to parent, right? And I mean, I think, um, you know, with alcohol, certainly it's been that if somebody, you know, somebody has drinks in moderation, there's not usually an issue around them parenting and their parenting time and you know I the same would apply with um, marijuana use now that it, it's legal um, but whether you know being an anti-vaxxer um, or you know or refusing vaccination you know, is considered um, something that goes to someone's judgment um, and therefore is a reflection on their parenting ability because it's deemed to be bad judgment I don't know that anyone would go that far because it is it, you know it, there's a lot of there's a lot of arguments on both sides like i you know there's lots of arguments as to why we should be getting vaccinated but there are you know the people who are against it they do in my opinion there are there are they do have some valid arguments and it is more controversial so um you know i you know i my prediction like i i think a court would be hard pressed to disallow parenting time you know, on the basis of something like that. But, you know, we don't, we won't know until the issue arises. Yes, yeah. and, and there will be, there will be um, particular and unique fact scenarios that will sway things. So if we're dealing with a child that is immunocompromised, who um, is vaccinated and one parent is choosing to not be vaccinated and if that parent works in an environment where they could be exposed i could see a judge saying you know you have the freedom to be vaccinated you're choosing not to be vaccinated you've got a child that's at risk um and for now um the contact should be by facetime it, it, that, i'm just saying that could happen i i agree um, That's a possible scenario. I agree with you. I think it's going to be very fact specific. You know, I, I think that um, there there'll be guidelines, and then it'll be very fact specific as to whether it can be a grounds for you know withholding parenting time. And and I'll tell you, you know, the governments all over the world have all said that their decisions have all been driven by the advice that they receive from their medical officers. And the decisions have not been influenced by other factors such as political. So then the question becomes in the family court system, will the decisions be made based on medical advice or will the decisions be made for, wouldn't use the word political reasons, but political correctness reasons. So for example, will a judge be influenced to say, if I rule this person cannot have contact, physical contact with the child because they're not choosing to be vaccinated, is that a is that a political statement? Is it 
Are we saying as Canadians, you must be vaccinated to be a caregiver? And a judge might say, I'm not prepared to say that because even though I work for the government, I'm not prepared to, to lay down such a hard rule. Uh, so, you know, we've had so many rulings in the courts, whether it's on going to school versus remote learning, whether it's going back and forth, whether it's traveling to a cottage, being around elderly people. I mean, we've had so many fact scenarios come out. Um, this is going to be a big one. It's going to be one that I am not envious of the judges <laughs> who are going to have to grapple with this one. Yeah, no, me neither. I mean, it's it, it's significant, it, you know, because it's affecting a, a child's time with their parent. I mean, something like school and things like that are important or cottage time or, you know, contact with grandparents. Those are all still important things. But I think contact with your parent is probably, you know, an even bigger fat, a bigger deal than, you know, these other ones. So this may ultimately be, you know, the, uh, the most significant type of decision the judges are going to have to make. Um, and like you, I don't envy them. I think it's, it's going to be tough. Um, but I do think it's something that is going to be upcoming. I don't know which I enjoy more, ending an IG Live with you where we haven't actually provided any information of use <laughs> or of utility, or where we've actually killed the subject so well. So for what it's worth, this is one of those we... Yeah, no, exactly. So thank you everyone for tuning in. Sorry we can't provide any concrete black and white advice on this. It remains to be seen, and uh, we'll see you here next week. You got it. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye now. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.